This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's getting really hot in here. It's so hot. It's Getting Hot in Here is a programme about giving voice to the people in our community working for environmental and social change. The climate emergency is a defining issue of our lifetime. Our aim is to bring you content that helps us understand the climate crisis and explore actions to help us all to save ourselves. So how has the response to COVID-19 affected the climate crisis? Well, there's a lot of debate in the media right now about this relationship. Some say a transformation is coming because of how we changed our behaviours in lockdown. Less carbon emissions, less wasteful consumerism, more cycling and walking. But others say real change would require far more investment than is looking likely to happen. We would need to get really serious about tackling emissions. Energy-efficient homes, regenerative agriculture, electrifying public transport. In short, we have to do more, no question. And talking about what change could look like is still really important. Here at Plains FM, we have a number of content makers who are passionate about this issue. So today, we're going to hear some thoughtful discussions from them. Let's start with Anthea and Helen, who produce an excellent podcast on sustainable living called So Circular. In their most recent episode, they looked at some positive benefits to the environment that have come out of the pandemic experience. Here are some highlights. So there was a lot in the news uh, about reduced air pollution, and I know that even I noticed here in Christchurch that the views over the city were much clearer. There's this thing that for every generation, there's a downward creep of environmental norms. Um, So, for example, if you're used to there being 100 birds in a flock... That's your norm. But then if half the birds die, the next generation thinks that 50 birds is normal. So if the number drops again, then the level that they plan to restore it to is 50 birds, not 100 birds. Oh, that's really interesting, eh? Um, It's like the lockdown has given everybody an insight into what it could be. Yeah. And that's the thing I think of when you say that is that um, fishing thing where, like, my granddad used to catch massive blue cod, and mm. now there's only tiny ones. And it's mm. like, yeah, because now this is our new normal. Yeah, but you have to experience it to know. So some of the cool things that happened during lockdown um, were things like people taking up cycling as their form of exercise. And with carless streets, it's the perfect time for fresh cyclists to like regain their confidence um, because there's no cars around. Yeah, and a really um, simple thing to carry on would be for us all to continue those habits um, and start cycling to work or um, kind of trying to push those into (laughs) a normal routine now, even though it's winter and cold. (laughs) Yeah, because the more bikes are on the road, then the safer it is for cyclists. Because there's fewer cars as well. Yeah. Did you know that biking to work (laughs) cuts your risk of cancer by 40%? I knew you were going to say that because that's one of your favourite statistics. It's amazing. (laughs) It is pretty incredible. Yeah. So another thing to reduce emissions is that lots of people found working from home worked well for them. Um, So some people are going to continue that, which means there'll be fewer people commuting to the office in cars or bikes um, and will reduce emissions from transport. But that's only, it'll reduce emissions, but only if they only heat the room that they're working in. 
And we still need to remember that it's nice to see people in person. Yeah, not everybody should work from home all the time. No. Yeah. Um, so the quieter cities have had benefits for wildlife as well. Yeah, so birds are enjoying the decrease in noise, um, light and air pollution. And so, and along with messier public parks because maintenance has been stopped. So if we are all commuting by bike and implementing our lovely daily walks that we had during lockdown, then um, we'll notice them more as well and we'll reduce all of the pollution. Um, So another thing that we can do to have an impact on the environment is change our consumption. And obviously during lockdown, household consumption dropped as only essential things were available. Uh, And this meant that we couldn't buy things that we may still actually have needed but weren't essential. Um, But it provided us an opportunity to assess what we buy and reflect on whether we need it and then adapt to um, other options if need be. Yeah, and as we mentioned in the earlier episode on the hierarchy of needs, the richest 7% of the population, which is us and another half billion people, uh, are responsible to 50% of the world's uh, carbon emissions mainly through the stuff that we buy Mm. um, through our consumption um, and our cars. So a really cool thing that happened um, during lockdown was um, more trees were given as virtual gifts. So Um, awesome. So Trees That Count, which um, is an online tree um, marketplace where you can buy trees and you can gift them to people as well, um, they had a 175% increase in the number of people gifting native trees. So awesome. So amazing. And there's this really cool story. There's a Dunedin student who set up a gift registry for his 21st birthday because um, he couldn't have a party. And 180 trees were bought for him. And following on from um, changes in consumer behaviour, it's awesome to see the acknowledgement of the importance of supporting, supporting local businesses um, that's been highlighted as a key strategy to boost our economy Yeah, so when you shop locally in New Zealand, there's so many cool benefits, um, including that tax stays in the country. Mm. So we don't think tax is a great benefit, but if you buy from New Zealand business who's employing New Zealanders, then income tax and um, company tax stays in New Zealand instead Mm. of being funneled overseas. Yeah. So we get schools and stuff. Yeah, so it's awesome that something that is good for the environment has come out of this that's not being pushed as something that's good for the environment. It's just... Support your local businesses and it'll be good for all of us and the environment. Are we saying that things that are good for the environment can be good for the economy? I know. (sighs) Who would have thought? Oh, amazing. (laughs) (laughs) We've been harping on about this stuff for years. (laughs) Well, it took a global pandemic for us to be relevant. (laughs) (laughs) New Zealand's COVID-19 response has provided us an insight into what the world could look like without any of us going to work or to the shops. Um, But that extreme isn't really what anybody wants, I don't think. Um, And so we need to reflect on the things that were good for us and for the planet and then um, adopt those into our lives going forward. And so what is your do one challenge today, Helen? Well, I sense a theme here because quite a lot of my do one challenges have been the same thing. But my (laughs) do one challenge is to give trees um, (laughs) as as presents um, from Trees That Count. Cool. Um, and my do one challenge is going to be to attempt to keep up with the exercise that you were doing in lockdown, even though it's winter and cold. Just do it in like the warmer part of the day if you can or whatever. <laughs> Excellent. You're listening to It's Getting Hot in Here on Plains FM. Next, we'll hear from Jane Pierce. 
who makes the very popular and quirky podcast Plainly Down a Rabbit Hole. Jane has been debating and arguing and thinking about climate change for the last 20 years. I had a chat with her recently, and I started off by asking about the connections between COVID-19 and the climate crisis. There's two ways of, of first addressing about the impact of COVID-19 on climate change. One of them is what's the direct impact, and the other one is the indirect. So if we look at the direct impact first, so um, some people are, are, I think, kind of hoping that the closure, temporary though it is, of various industries and the CO2 that they belch out into the atmosphere, um, the huge reduction in uh, flights around the world, the massive reduction of transportation, cars, lorries, so on, um, is all going to give us a bit of time. Sadly, unfortunately, the bad news is that's not true. Um, Although we're still in the pandemic episode, the experts in the field predict that the likely reduction this year in CO2 emissions is only going to be about 7% of our usual total. That's nothing. That's actually what we need every year. 7% and then another 7% and then another 7% over the next 8, 10 more years. Because when I first heard that, I thought, really, is that true? But then when it was explained thus... If you imagine an Olympic-sized swimming pool and you're filling it up with a garden hose, um, it's going to take a long time before you fill up the swimming pool. And if it's absolutely imperative that you don't spill over, let's just suppose for some bizarre reason, well, if you, it's going to take ages before that fills up. If you turn that down by 7%, it's going to make diddly squat difference to how long you have to wait before it Mm. it spills over. And this is what's happening with our atmosphere. Furthermore, it may well be that after we come out of pandemic, countries around the world gear themselves up to not only go back to pre-pandemic levels, but actually may accelerate it even more to make up for the lost time that we've had during lockdowns. So actually it could be worse. And and there's, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, but um, a leading figure at the UN dealing with climate change predicted that the situation has got actually more acute for us. And she reasoned that this is because we haven't got now eight, 10 years to, to make major changes. She predicts that we've got three to 18 months to make real changes. This is because if we come out of the pandemic and try to reinvigorate the economies of the world in the same way we had before the pandemic, then the chances of us ever changing Mm. will be almost nil. So... The changes need to happen post-pandemic. Otherwise, they won't happen at all. Yeah. 
so the direct impact, oh, I think that's a bit of a no-no. I just don't think there's anything there to talk about further. It's just a, a dead end. But indirect impact, I think, is potentially a, a game changer. And this is really where I'm massively um, keen and one of the main reasons I wanted to come on this podcast. Because we can go through a period of re-evaluation. We can make a change. We can alter our direction. But it's up to us to do this. It's not just government. Government will listen to us, the voters. Because if they don't, they won't be in power. Um, so it, this is absolutely imperative. And I think that there's some good reasons to believe that we will succeed. Good. Give us some hope, Jane. <laughs> well, I think the first thing to say is that uh, in my personal experience, whenever I've talked about climate change with people, two issues come up regularly um, to put me in my place <laughs> that I can't frankly answer, but I can now because of, of um, COVID-19. So one of them is to say, well, it's, it's just all too hard. Um, people need to make loads of changes. It's never going to happen. Um, and the other one is, where are you going to get the money to pay for all of that? So the first one, too hard. Well, COVID-19, we, we changed enormously. We spun on a dime. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, the threat has to be right in front of our faces. That's part of psychology. But we can change dramatically. Mm -hmm. The other one about where does the money come from? So when we were in lockdown and I started hearing that the government here, Britain, states and so on, were suddenly finding billions of dollars, even trillions of dollars for the United States, where did all that come from then? Where was that hiding? Well, they're borrowing it. I'm not sure that that's even quite true, actually. So, um, and it reminded me of um, the banking crisis in 2008. Again, suddenly, money um, sprang out of somewhere. So I did what I always do when I don't know the answer to something. Go and Google it. <laughs> and... I was amazed when I found what appears to be the answer to this question. It's called MMT for short, and it stands for Modern Monetary Theory. And if you're interested to find out more, because I'm not an economist, but I will try to explain a little bit of it. But if you're interested, I would highly recommend that you Google Stephanie Kelton. And, and if you like to read books, she has just published... Um, a new book called The Deficit Myth uh, explaining what's actually going on in certain governments. It does not apply to every country in the world. But for countries like New Zealand, Australia, Britain, the States, Canada, Japan, it does apply, and a few others besides. So they have to be they have to have sovereign rights over their currency. In other words, they're the only ones allowed to dictate how much money 
is sloshing around in their country's economy. If they haven't got that, it doesn't work. If they're tied to uh, the, the cost of gold or they're in the EU and it's all linked with loads of other countries, it makes it much more difficult. So what happens? Not just in a crisis, but what happens in government? See, I believed, and I'm sure lots of other people also believe this, that when the government says, OK, so we're going to fund housing or hospitals or education and so on, uh, but in order to do it, we need to put up taxes. This is a neoliberal lie. It doesn't work like that. Taxes do not pay for all these things. What actually happens is that a government, the cabinet, will decide how they want to spend money and how much and so on. And then when they figured all that out, they pick up the phone and give the Treasury a ring and say, could you just make a few keystrokes alteration on your computer? And voila, the money is there. You don't even necessarily have to borrow it because they've got rights over that money. Now, there is a downside. Um, the downside is that you have to consider what the unemployment rate is in your country. So if you have a lot of unemployment, the government can push in money into public amenities, hospitals, schools, etc., um, to employ people, uh, to fuel up the economy so it doesn't stagnate. If there isn't a lot of unemployment, you shouldn't do it. Because if you do, you fuel hyperinflation, which nobody wants, doesn't, doesn't serve anybody well. But as long as the government keeps an eye on that, they can alter how much money is in circulation. So they can decide to drop the amount of money that, again, just ring up Treasury and say, make another couple of keystrokes on your computer. And the other thing they can do is uh, they can alter taxation. Um, so taxes don't pay for the stuff, but taxes keep the economy level from overheating or underheating. And taxes also do serve, actually, well, quite a number of different purposes. Uh, so there's stopping overheating, but there's also stopping the gap between rich and poor, which around the world is increasing enormously so that we end up with um, inequality. Every year it's increasing, including here in New Zealand, unfortunately. So if you tax businesses and you tax individuals, then you can reduce that gap. And the other thing is it, it, taxation can also uh, change our behaviour. So, for example, you put a load of tax on cigarettes and it has the impact of reducing the amount of smoking in your community. Or you can tax sugar and not tax fresh, fresh vegetables. These are all things that are, are, are good for us. So tax still has its importance, but it's not paying for these amenities. And I think it's really important that we understand this, because otherwise, when we argue the toss about how we're going to get ourselves out of the mess of the pandemic, we're arguing about the wrong thing. And we need to argue about the right thing. We should instead be talking about not overheating, but, you know, we can still afford 
billions of dollars. What are we going to spend it on? What's important? And that argument, when we take away this other stuff that's irrelevant, then we can talk about green issues. We can say, yes, we want to put into all these different uh, proposals, say, for example, do we actually want to put in for more roads or would we like to put in for rail instead? Well, what will have the impact on our environment? Surely rail is the way to go, not more roads. What are our priorities with actually dealing with the housing stock in New Zealand to make more double glazing, more insulation, healthier for people. I think this is all, it's all interconnected because that's what life is like. It's all interconnected. Many people, of course, have have continued to work in essential services like yourself. But there's also been even more people who have been sat at home They've had the opportunity to reflect on their lives and the lives of others and the world. They've also had some eye-bogglingly amazing sights happen. For example, in Kathmandu, (laughs) the air is cleared and for the first time in 30 years they realise that they actually have got a distant view of Mount Everest. (laughs) And that's happened in lots of countries. And it's not just, oh, that's nice, we can see a good view. It's actually, wow, we didn't realise just how bad the air pollution was. And actually, air pollution causes thousands and thousands of deaths every year. They're realising that nature is much closer at hand than they thought. Maybe they take a walk and go round the corner and there's a nice little park that they knew about but they never went to. And they think, oh, that's actually really nice. Or they take a cycle ride in order to get fit and that's really good and they enjoy it. I think all these things sort of are opening our eyes. But, you know, it's really important that we've had this time to consider what is important in our lives. And so as we eventually come out of the pandemic, I think there is going to be this desire not to go back to what we had before, but to move forward in a progressive way. And I think one of our main concerns will actually be the climate crisis. But, Jane. Yes. What about those people who, yes, appreciate the quiet, the clean air, mm-hmm. but they've lost their job? Mm. And their priority is going to be to make an income. Yes. So they can feed themselves, house themselves and their families. Absolutely. And, and uh, I really don't want to detract from the seriousness for for people um, and, and just how damaging that is and long-term potentially it is too. So let's take another idea that was around pre-COVID-19 um, and has been talked about increasingly during um, this pandemic and potentially could come into fruition after the pandemic. And that's something called UBI, which stands for Universal Basic Income. What does it mean for people who are out of work? Well, first of all, they're guaranteed getting 
enough at least to get by, to pay the rent, to pay the food, to pay the power bill, so they can stop worrying about that. But it also means that some people who would like to stop working or stop working as much and care for their children, a sick family member, an elderly person, they can actually decide to do that, which frees up, actually, other jobs that the unemployed would need or would want. Um, but we need to get them into the right jobs that are to do with climate change or not having climate change. Uh, it, it may be to do with the way that we work as well. So, it, it, for example, if you did go to, say, a four-day week, one plus there is that that means that you're not using your car to get to work maybe mm-hmm. so much and, and so emissions can come down. But it's going to be you know, quite small. Um, it's really the sort of work that we do that's really important. What can I do to help avert climate crisis? Well, as I said, there's discussion and there's action. So I think it's talk to your fellow workers, talk to your family members, talk to your friends, talk to your neighbours and listen to what they have to say. Most importantly, to listen to what they have to say, to move forward and then take action. Maybe go on a march. Maybe write to the Prime Minister (laughs) or any member of our Parliament. Maybe get online and advocate. For example, sortition to do with climate uh, crisis. There is a committee for that. And you can join it online and have voting rights. There's lots of possibilities, I think, out there. But my final point is to say, actually, if you just change your viewpoint, which goodness knows we've had to do this year, you shift it onto other concerns. It's not just about the almighty dollar. There's lots of other concerns in life, including the climate crisis and other things that all work together. I don't think we should feel like we haven't got an important voice. We should talk to one another. We should take action. You've been listening to It's Getting Hot In Here on Plains FM. If you want to check out the podcast, go to the Plains FM website. Thanks to everyone who helped make this program. Anthea Maddell, Helen Townsend from So Circular Podcast, Jane Pierce from the podcast Plainly Down a Rabbit Hole, and Sheldon Murtha. And I'm Laura Gartner. Thank you for listening. Ma te wa. <laughs>